let us pray again. I have to pray for myself. It's just a standard protocol. <laughs> Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before your throne again to worship you this hour that you have appointed from before the foundation of the world that your people will be gathered this late afternoon to hear about the riches and glory of your Son, Jesus Christ, in their salvation. And Lord, we just pray for help that you may, by your Spirit, give us understanding of your word. We bless your name, Lord, for your faithfulness in all things. May you be with your people, these who are gathered here and those who are afar. We pray for your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Our text is going to be from Luke 10. Luke chapter 10. This is one of the most familiar stories of the Bible. Just about anybody, even atheists, know about this story. The story of the Good Samaritan. But the majority of the understanding is not the understanding of the story. <laughs> even in the United States, I think they have, for the Red Cross, they have what they call the Good Samaritan Law, that if you help someone and you end up causing more harm to them, the law will protect you. And it comes from an understanding, some understanding of this story. But this story is not for us to pass legislation. This is a gospel story. And if the Lord be pleased, you may hear this story like you've never heard it before. Same story, same text. We're going to work it the same way. We read the text, we talk about the text, then we draw the gospel from the text. So may you go with me again to Luke 10, verses 25 to 37. And Luke records for us and says, And the lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers and they stripped him and beat him and went away leaving him half dead. And by chance a priest was going down on that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion, and came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them, and he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, The one who showed mercy toward him. Then Jesus said to him, Go and do the same. A second title is just going to be one title. Did Jesus answer the question? That was a very simple question. And Jesus gave a very lengthy response. And so the question that we have to answer is, did Jesus answer the question? 
Because if he did not answer the question, the question is still unanswered for you and me. And I've come to tell you that I believe Jesus answered the question. And we're going to work out the details to find out how Jesus answered the question. But before we go to that part of the text, we have to give some introduction about the gospel. The gospel is a very specific message that answers a very specific problem for you as a sinner. And the gospel is good news because of the problem that it addresses. The gospel is answering a question that nothing else can answer for you who is a sinner. It is answering the question of your acceptance by God. It is answering the question of how a sinner can attain or can end eternal life. That is, a sinner can pass from death to life. A sinner can come from condemnation to justification. These are the terms that we have to be talking to when we are talking about the gospel. It is answering the question of who shall deliver me from this body of death as we learned last night. The gospel is answering for you the appointment that you have with God because every man has an appointed time with God. You and I have to meet with God and give account. And if we do not understand the problem We will also not understand the solution and how God has proposed to deal with the solution. I mean, with the problem. And the solution is either going to come from your own resources, your own labor, your own effort, your own pain, your own money, your own goodness, or it's going to come from God. And we can't properly deal with the matter unless we understand the function of the law. We have to understand the function of the law. If we mess up the law, we mess up the gospel. The law was not given necessarily to stop people from stealing. It was given to teach you you and I on the proper way to approach a holy and just God. Hear me. The law was given to teach you how to approach a holy and righteous God. So the law was given to account for sin and to reveal sin that you may come to Christ and find your satisfaction of the law in him. So now when we are talking about the gospel, we are talking about the relationship that a sinner, one who is a sinner, sustains with respect to the law. How do you stand before God in relation to his law? So you are going to stand before God either as one who has fulfilled the law in yourself, by yourself, or as one who has fulfilled the law in the person of Christ. So when we are dealing with this matter, we have to deal with it in God's own court, not in human courts. With God himself as the judge. And we have to hear what he has proposed to deal with the matter. And we shall answer the questions from the text. Because the text is a gospel 
text. It's not about mowing grass for your neighbor and ending eternal life. That's not what Jesus was talking about. And so that takes us to the story of the Good Samaritan. And as I said earlier, many preachers and the majority of the people, including professing church people, use this parable to teach good works and to exhort people to do good things. And that is a fair understanding of the story, but that is not the point. (laughs) They miss the point. They approach the story without the knowledge of the gospel, so they make it more of an application sermon than a teaching of the gospel. And I have to make a remark and say, application sermons are destroying the teaching of the gospel. Look at all the so-called successful ministries. They are built on application sermons. They are not built on the teaching of the gospel. And men as sinners love application sermons because it makes them feel good. And it also builds, they build confidence in the flesh because they are given things to do. But the gospel does not give you things to do. It takes away things from you. (laughs) So when you are reading the Bible, we have to read the stories with gospel eyes. Otherwise, we miss the point. And we may quote the Bible very well and still miss the point, like what the Jews were doing. And the Lord would come and say to the Jews in John 5:39, You search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life, but it is they that testify of me. So both the Old Testament and the New Testament testify of Christ and his work in the salvation of his people. And so to preach the gospel is to preach Christ and him crucified. And Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 2, you don't have to go there. He said, for I determined not to know anything among you except Christ and him crucified. And he would also say in 1 Corinthians 9, 16, for if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, war is me. If I do not preach the gospel, I wish every pulpit in the country would have that verse right there. War is me if I do not preach the gospel. So every preacher has to feel the burden of preaching the gospel. Otherwise, God has not sent them. So with that understanding, let's work this story. And I want you to go with me to verse 25. That will be our first verse. Verse 25 Luke writes and says, And a lawyer stood up and put him to the test. That's, he put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So the lawyer stood up to test Jesus. He was not very genuine about his question. He wanted to test Jesus as what the Pharisees and scribes were accustomed to doing. He was looking to see if he could cause Jesus to stumble in some way by his own knowledge and then accuse him. And this they had been doing since Jesus came on the scene. And so he came and to his credit, he asked the right question and to the right person. And we'll see what kind of answer he got and seek understanding from it. And as I said, we'll see if Jesus actually answered that question. Because if he did answer that question, then we have some very good news tonight. And when you're talking about the things of God, my opinion does not matter. 
And your opinion does not matter. Jesus' opinion matters. So we have to hear what he has to say because that settles all matters. And so when it comes to the things of God, Jesus' opinion matters. When you need help with your plumbing issues, the opinion of a plumber really matters because they know something about plumbing. And if you have issues with your teeth, the opinion of a dentist matters. And if you have issues with your car, the the opinion of the mechanic matters. And so the lawyer is in the right place and at the right time and talking to the right person and ask the right question. Because Jesus has just said two verses prior in Luke 10, 23 and 24. Jesus said, turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. For I say to you that many prophets and kings wish to see the things which you see and did not see them and to hear the things which you hear and did not hear them. And this lawyer, unfortunately, in his own wisdom, belongs to those whose eyes have not yet been blessed to see the things that others are seeing. Things that, according to Jesus, Prophets and kings desired to see and to know them, but they could not see them. And things that they desired to hear, but they could not hear them from the mouth of Jesus. But even now, as then, there are many who are not hearing and are not seeing Jesus, even though they are still around where Jesus is being talked about. Why? Because salvation is not the work of man. You do not up and go and say, my life sucks and I think I am deciding to follow Jesus. That's not how salvation works. This is how salvation works according to Jesus' understanding in Luke 10, 21 to 22. We kind of backtracking and then we'll get back to our text. Jesus has said, this is all important because it helps us to understand the conversation with the lawyer. Jesus said this in Luke 10, verse 21 and 22. I praise you, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants or babes. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son and anyone to whom the son wills to reveal him. And so this wise lawyer or teacher of the law is one of those to whom the revelation of Christ has not yet been made. God has blinded him from seeing Christ. Why? Because Christ will only be known one way. By God's revelation. That's the only way. That's the only way you're going to believe the gospel. You don't believe the gospel because you read the Bible. (laughs) You believe the gospel only because God was pleased to reveal Christ to you. And there's no other way. And if you still remember, we have been talking this weekend about the rich young ruler. He also had come to Jesus with the same question. In Luke 18, the rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, Good teacher, what shall I do? Do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. See where Jesus took him. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. 
Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And the rich young ruler said, All these things I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you possess and distribute it to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But when he had these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich, or he had so many possessions. And Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God, for it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. They who had said, Then who can be saved? But he said, The things that are impossible with people are possible with God. And there's a lot of stuff that has been said about that parable. But the issue of the parable is not you end salvation by selling your things. That's not what Jesus was teaching. Jesus was giving terms of salvation. And the terms of salvation was, follow me. (laughs) That was the term of salvation. That's what Jesus was saying and nothing else. Follow me. Why? Because if you come and try to approach him on any other basis, he's going to give you something that you can't do. There's always something that you can't do. He will ask you to do something that you can't do. So he will empty you of all your confidence. Why? Because salvation is in him. In him alone. And so the question still is, because we need to answer the question, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And it is a very important question that one has to ask between now and the grave. That's all you're doing between now and when you die. We are not here to see our grandkids. We are not here to do anything. We are here to answer that question. That's the question that God has you, needs you to answer for yourself. Before you die. But he will answer it for you. And he has answered it for you. But see what these people were doing. Who were coming to Christ. They came to Christ asking. About what they had to do. To earn eternal life. And, and that is a very genuine. And legitimate question. And that is the most important question. That you ever ask. Ever. What shall I do? To earn eternal life. And the thinking is. They thought eternal life is had when someone does something. You have to do something to earn it. They wanted to be given a list of things to do that they would take their pencil and say, okay, done, 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 I'm in. And that's the thinking of the majority of the teaching in the so-called church. They give you a list of things to do. But do you see the problem? The problem is they want to merit salvation. They want to merit salvation. They want to earn that which God only gives for free. They are trying to do that they may earn something that God only gives for free. Salvation can only be given and freely. You can't earn it. Don't try to pay for something that the law says is a free service. If you do that, you get arrested. Why? Because it's bribery. Right? It's bribery. It is corruption. 
So trying to earn your way into God's favor is bribery. And God will throw you out because salvation is freely given by grace without cause from you. And so the Lord Jesus Christ sought to take the lawyer down from his high horse. Because the the lawyer thinks he's something. (laughs) By teaching him the gospel of grace. So he said to him, verse 26, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? How do you understand the law is saying? So the Lord took him to Moses. Because the law is for humbling the self-righteous, the proud. And he said to him, what is your understanding? What do you think the law is asking of you? Why did Jesus take him to the law? Because the law is God's measuring line of perfection. The law is God's standard of perfection. And the law requires not your best effort. It requires 100% perfect obedience. 99.99% is not good enough. The law requires that one does everything that it says to do. And if you fail at one point, as we learn from James, all the cases in it will fall upon you. And even in Deuteronomy 28 verses 58 to 61, which we are not going to read, God says, if you break my law, you are going to even have more cases than what are written in the Bible. There are more cases than are given in the Bible. So hear this, verse 27 of Luke 10. And he, the lawyer answered, he is responding to Jesus' question of how do you read the law? He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you live. There are two parts to That statement by the Lord Jesus. He answered correctly. But Jesus says you go and do this. And you live. And you answer your own question. And there are a lot of preachers. Who are answering the question correctly. But they don't understand the aspect of doing and living. Because of someone's obedience. (laughs) So the law. Sorry. the, the, The lawyer understood what the law said. He summarized the law correctly according to Jesus. Okay? Jesus was pleased with his understanding of the law. So the lawyer is good on this. But he has a huge problem. His problem comes when Jesus says, Do this and you will live. That's where the problem is. Do this and you will live. So the law requires more than just talking about it. It requires to be done perfectly and that is the point that many forget and don't know when they claim to do the law or when they claim that the believer is still under the law. The lawyer came to Jesus asking for something to do and Jesus gave him something to do by which if a man does it, he will live. But the man can't do the law. And you and I cannot do the law. Why? Because of the weakness of the sinful flesh. We are sinners. And because we are sinners, we can't meet the requirement of the law, the perfection of the law towards God and towards other men. 
but there is a better way. And praise God, there is a better way. A way by which a man can be saved apart from trying to do the law. Let us keep working the story. Verse 29. But the lawyer, wishing to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor, Jesus? (laughs) So the lawyer is really full of himself. (laughs) He is thinking, Oh, Jesus, give me a list of names. Tell me who my neighbors are. And tell me what I should do towards my neighbors that I may earn eternal life. Right? But Jesus has to teach him. Jesus has to teach him how salvation actually works. And that is the reason why he taught the parable of the Good Samaritan. Let's go there, verse 30. Verse 30. And we're going to read all the way to verse 36 again. Jesus replied and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers. And they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down on that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him. And when he saw him, he felt compassion. And came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him and whatever more you spend when I return, I will repay you. And then Jesus says, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? Now, the question is, I'm just thinking of Brother Bob uh, Dishman and his donkey. And I'm wondering if he were to give a ride to one of his neighbors on his donkey, will he be the good Samaritan? (laughs) Would that answer the question? Because this question needs to be answered in the light of the question that was asked. So listen to Jesus' description of what happened to the man who was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. Verse 30. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers and they stripped him and beat him and went away leaving him half dead. The road from Jerusalem to Jericho was a very steep, dangerous and winding road. And robbers used to hide in its winding ways and they robbed people. And they stripped them of their possessions and they beat them up and left them half dead, and some were actually killed. And then what happened, Jesus? Verse 31, And by chance a priest was going down on that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. A priest was under the law. Jesus is talking to the scribe, the lawyer, or even the Pharisees, he was talking to people who were still under the law of Moses. Because the old covenant was still holding until the death of Christ. We know that, right? So when you are listening to what Jesus is saying, you have to understand that he was talking to people who were still under the old covenant. So we still had at this time the priesthood. So a priest 
according to the law, had to be a direct descendant of Aaron. Those who served in the tabernacle or in the temple on behalf of the people whose responsibility was to minister to the needs of the people before God, they had to be from the direct descendants of Aaron. And the text says, when he saw the man down, this priest, when he saw the man down, this priest, he passed by on the other side. And the man who had been robbed was most likely a Jew. That's just my speculation. He could have been someone else, but I am thinking in the context of the conversation, they are most likely a Jew. They are coming from Jerusalem. Likewise, the Levite. Levites were descendants of of Levi. These are all very important details to understand the story. That's why the names were given. So that's why we are connecting them. The Levites were descendants of Levi. And they also helped in the ministry of the tabernacle. So Levi was the father. He was one of the 12 tribes. And Aaron was a descendant of Levi. And for one to be high priest, they had to come from Aaron's line, like Aaron. So they had to be a Levite, and they had to come from Aaron. But to be a priest, you did not need to come from Aaron's house. You only needed to be a Levite. Okay? It's it's important. I'll, I'll show you why. And both these did not want to deal with the inconvenience of helping a very desperate man who had been beat up and was on the point of death. Both those. Luke 10, 33 to 37. But a Samaritan who was on, who was on a journey came upon him and when he saw him, he felt compassion and came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them and he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him and whatever more you spend when I return, I will repay you. These are the things that the Samaritan did. And we are going to point them out because they are clues to pointing them out. These are the things that the Samaritan did. Number one, he came upon the man. Number two, he saw the man. Number three, he felt compassion on the man. Number four, he came to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. Number five, and he put him on his own donkey, on his own beast. Number six, he brought him to an inn and took care of him. Number seven, he, on the next day, took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him and whatever more you spend when I return, I will repay you. And then Jesus asked, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he, the lawyer said, the one who showed mercy toward him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do the same. And so Jesus has helped to answer the lawyer's question, and I hope he did. But if you're reading this story, what is the conclusion that you're going to draw from it? I mean, seriously, from your own understanding of this story up until now, do you think you have a good answer from what Jesus said? Could you actually go and tell someone this story and say, if you do what Jesus said here, you're going to end eternal life? 
Can you? And this is why you need to understand the words and what Jesus was teaching. Jesus was not saying, if you go and help your neighbors, then you earn eternal life. Remember the question. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? If we miss the question, never miss the question. Carry the question with you all the way through the conversation. Don't drop the question. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? If the lawyer is going to earn eternal life, if he's going to be saved by works of loving his neighbor as himself, guess what? Then salvation is by works. If the lawyer is going to be justified by mowing his neighbor's lawn, then salvation is not by grace, but is by works. But is Jesus teaching that this is the way of earning eternal life? Because we know. Romans 3.20, the Apostle Paul says, By the deeds of the law, by the deeds of the flesh, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. The law that the lawyer just gave to Jesus was only given for the knowledge of sin. And if the man could be justified by his obedience to the law, as Jesus commanded, then the cross of Jesus was not necessary. And was not sufficient. If it happened, it is not sufficient to answer the question of eternal life. And Jesus died in vain. But we know from the full revelation of God's word that the cross alone answers the question of eternal life. He by himself finished the purification of our sins and sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. Says the writer of Hebrews in chapter 1. So what is this saying? This is not a story about how we get eternal life by being nice. (laughs) You are not going to nice yourself to eternal life. You're not going to do things to people to end eternal life. Let's go to the gospel in the story. Verse 30. See the portrait of the man who was robbed again. Verse 30. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And fell among robbers, and they stripped him, and they beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. The man was stripped down, and was beaten, and was left half dead, and that means he was going to die. But who are the robbers who beat the man? In the context of salvation, remember the question again, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Who are the robbers that beat up the man? It's sin. It's the devil. It's the law. It's the law. Sin beat the man down in Adam. And the law laid a burden on him who was already robbed of righteousness and beat down and they could not lift themselves up to live. The man had no ability in himself to lift himself up. So who is this man? In this conversation, is the lawyer... He is the man who has been robbed. He has been stripped and beat down and left for dead. And Jesus is saying, you are a spiritually dead man. You have no ability to do the law as to earn eternal life by it. So he, like the man depicted in the parable, was not able to help himself. And even more, 
Not even other men who were passing by could help him with salvation. And that is why they passed by on the other side. And unless someone steps up, death is certain for both the man in the parable as well as the lawyer. Because Jesus is linking the man to the lawyer or the lawyer to the man who was beat up. But what is that saying again beyond the lawyer? You and I are the men who fell among the robbers. We fell to sin, the devil, and we became under the condemnation of the law. The devil robbed you and me in our father Adam, and sin stripped you and me of any covering of righteousness or innocence, and beat us and left us dead, and that means condemned. So the man who was robbed is a picture, is a spiritual picture of the spiritual condition of all men because of their fall in Adam. They have been robbed of all their precious possessions. They have been left naked and condemned to die and left with no ability to get up by themselves. So all men born of a woman already fell among the robbers and they were stripped naked and were beaten and unable to recover themselves. I don't even know. When I heard these messages, they were written at totally different times. You know, surprised. I was like, wow, it seems they have the same theme as the woman with the issue of blood. Human inability. The man is not able to get up by himself. He's been beat down. Why? Because no man is able to come to Jesus by themselves. Because they have been beat down by sin and they are lying helpless and they are without strength. But listen to this. It is the good Samaritan who saw the man in his condition and had compassion on him and he came to him. The good Samaritan did not come and ask the man if he needed help. Pay attention. The good Samaritan did not come and say, hey, dude, do you need help? No, he did not. The good Samaritan was not under obligation to help the man. The man had been left dead, half dead, unable to help in his own salvation. He was unable to speak. And so in our salvation, it is Jesus who came to every single one of us to save us. He came to every single one of us. Because if Jesus has to wait on your door, knocking, then he will forever be knocking without any answer unless he kicks the door and gets in and performs CPR on you and zaps you. And so if this beaten man has to live, what has to happen? The priest and the Levite can't help him. They don't want to help him. Jesus in his parable, pay attention to this. Jesus in this parable, did not say the men were Benjamites. Jesus did not say the men were Reubenites. But he specifically and purposefully singled out one tribe, the Levites. Why? Because they were the ministers of the law. He purposefully... No, this is just such an important clue. It's glorious to me. I hope it's glorious to you. Because when the Lord revealed this to me, I actually was jumping. Because they were ministers of the law. Why? Because Moses was a Levite. And Aaron was a Levite. 
and the law was mediated by them. And Jesus is saying, you know what the law says, but the law does not save anyone because of the spiritual condition of those who are under it. They are beaten down, they are stripped naked, and have been left for dead. And that is why the Levite and the priest, they bypassed the man, they stepped aside. The law has to step aside on one who has been beat down. Why? Because the law does not have power to save. Hear me? The law can only look at you and leave you for death. It was a ministry of death and not a ministry of life. And so the writer of Hebrews would come and say in Hebrews 7.11, listen to this. The writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, if perfection, if righteousness, if life were through the Levitical priesthood, through Moses and Aaron, through these two guys, in parenthesis, the writer of Hebrews says, for under it the people received the law. What further need was there that another priest should rise according to the order of Melchizedek and not to be called according to the order of Aaron? The law was given through the Levitical priesthood. And Jesus is saying, perfection, life, righteousness do not come through the ministry of the law. And that is why, as I said, both the Levite and the priest had to step aside. They had nothing to give. The law has nothing to give you. The priest and the Levite were sinners. They also were spiritually dead men. And so as spiritually dead men, they could not help another one of theirs. They were sinful men. And the priesthood of the law remains the priesthood of Aaron and Moses. You can't change it to make it the priesthood of Christ. It's not the priesthood of Christ. The priesthood of Christ is one according to the order of Melchizedek. So the law can only step aside. And for you to be saved, you need more than the help of the law. You need the help of the good Samaritan. Because the law only gives you knowledge that you are a sinner. But listen to Jesus. Let's go to verse 33 to 35. I'm going to fast. I need to slow down. If you get done fast, I have another sermon. <laughs> we can't get done too fast. We are talking about Jesus, right? The point that Jesus is making here is that there's no man who is able to save another man from the robbery of sin, death, and condemnation. It is impossible. But something has to be done, and it can't be done by just a regular man. It has to be one who is identified as a Samaritan. So Jesus says, but a Samaritan who was on a journey, came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion, and came to him, and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them, and he put him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii, and gave them to the innkeeper, and said, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Let's look at the seven things that the Good Samaritan did because that answers our question. Number one again. 
Underline them because you're going to be like, you talked about seven things, but I don't remember them. I'm finding 15. You got to get the seven. He came upon the man. Number one, he saw the man. He felt compassion on the man. Number three. Number four, he came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. Number five, and he put on his own beast, he put him on his own beast. And number six, he brought him to an inn and took care of him. And number seven, he on the next day took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. And whatever more you spend when I return, I'll repay you. Jesus gave seven things that were done by the Samaritan. That is a complete and perfect work of salvation by the Samaritan. Oh, it's going to get good. Oh, it's going to get good. I'm telling you. That is a complete and perfect work, complete salvation by the Samaritan. The Samaritan came upon the man. If you still remember, the Samaritans were considered outcasts. They were a despised people. Because they were a mixed race of people between the Assyrians and the northern ten tribes of Israel. So they were despised by the Jews. You know that from the, from John 4, the Samaritan and Jesus, the woman at the well. So the Samaritan, this Samaritan who does these seven things is also despised. That's the profile of the Samaritan who does these seven things. Who does this complete work. He is a despised man, but he's a good man. (laughs) Who is the Samaritan? Who is this good Samaritan? It can't be the Samaritans that the Jews despised. Jesus is talking more than just a regular Samaritan. He's talking about himself. Jesus is the good Samaritan. It is he the stranger, because that is very purposeful selection of words by Jesus to call himself a Samaritan. He is the stranger. He is despised and he is rejected. The stone that the builders rejected who came to the man who was in danger. So the connection with the Samaritan is speaking to his rejection by the Jews Rejection of Jesus by the Jews. So he calls himself, I am the Samaritan. And remember also, the Jews used to call Jesus a Samaritan. You still remember that? Which was, as I said, a derogatory term in their time. And remember, they said to Jesus, we say to you, you are a Samaritan and you have a demon. Okay? If you're trying to just say some mean things to someone, just tell them that. You are a Samaritan and you have a demon. That will take them down. (laughs) but this one who is a Samaritan took the responsibility he took the burden to, to bear the full cost of recovering the man who was dying this stranger this Samaritan who had no interest in the man is the one who took the full responsibility of recovering the man And Jesus is saying, this is how salvation works, friends. Someone, a stranger, has to come and take responsibility and recover you because you are already beat down. Jesus came to save you. Let's say some things. We argue with a lot of people 
about who comes to who first in salvation. And a lot of people say in the professing church world that it's the sinner who comes to Christ. It's the sinner who has to move for the gospel to actually work. That's not true. That's just man's theology, man-centered theology. But you can't get that from this story. (laughs) The half-dead man did not call for help. One, he could not call for help. He is not different from the lost coin. The lost coin, unlike the ship, did not even have a mouth to say, I'm here, I'm lost, I'm in the dark, but I'm lost. I'm here, find me, Jesus. It was lost in the darkness of sin, and it is the woman who had to take her lamb, and she had to sweep around the house and look for her coin, and she found the coin, and she recovered it to herself. And that woman was Jesus. And in this story, the man could not call for Jesus. He could not call for the good Samaritan because he did not have the ability to call for help. He did not choose the good Samaritan and he did not invite him into his heart to make him Lord and Savior. He did not walk the aisle because he could not walk the aisle. He was a dead man. The beaten man was half dead and could no way move himself to seek help. But the Samaritan saw him and came to him. And so Jesus saw you and I. And he came to you and saw that you were robbed, that you were stripped of righteousness and needed covering with his own righteousness. It's Jesus who makes that evaluation. You don't make that evaluation. Jesus saw the sin, the judgment of death and condemnation that was on you, and he felt compassion. What is that? That is grace. It is grace that saved you and I. And Jesus did not have to stop for you and I, as the good Samaritan did not have to stop for the man who was beat down. But this is what he did. Verse 34. And... He came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them, and he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Oh, this is brilliant. (laughs) The man could not be brought in naked to the inn. Pay attention to that. The man could not be brought in naked to the inn. Remember what just happened to him. He has been stripped naked. And the inn is a public place. So you are not coming in with a guy who is naked. You are not going to walk into Starbucks carrying a guy who is naked. You're not going to do that. The Samaritan had to cover the man with something. He had to cover the man with something. Something that he had on himself. (laughs) He had to cover the man with something that he had on himself. And so Jesus had to cover us with his own righteousness before we could be brought in to the innkeeper. To the innkeeper. Jesus bandaged up our wounds 
before we could be brought in to the innkeeper. We're going to identify the innkeeper. We're going there. But how did Jesus bandage up our wounds? By his own wounds on the cross, by his stripes, we were healed. And, and that text from Isaiah 53 is not for you to use when you have a cold. Because a lot of people misuse that verse and say, well, I'm coughing today. Oh, by his wounds we are healed. <laughs> That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the blood of Christ on the cross, making full payment for our sins. So by his own wounds, we were healed. We were bandaged. And he poured oil and wine on the wounds. And oil, if you know your Old Testament, is for anointing. It was for anointing. And that is the giving. It was a picture of the giving of the Holy Spirit. The anointing of oil was always a picture of giving of the Holy Spirit. The giving of the Holy Spirit. It was not for some man to pray over the oil and say, Oh, you take this and your life will be set. That's not the purpose of the oil. (laughs) And wine was for preservation. Wine was for preservation. So the ones that Jesus bandaged are given the Holy Spirit. And are preserved to the end. Jesus is he who poured the oil. He gave us the Holy Spirit. Right? These who have been anointed by the Holy Spirit can't be lost again to the robbers. They can't be lost again to sin and death in spite of themselves. And so Jesus did not stop there in the parable. Because if Jesus just recovers the man and leaves him on the road, guess what? Some more robbers are coming. So he did not leave the man on the road. That's preservation, saints. This good Samaritan knows the gospel. He knows something about the gospel. So he did not stop there. He carried the man on his own beast. He bore our griefs. He bore our sin on himself and he brought the man to an inn and took care of him. Jesus takes care of all those that he serves. He does. He takes care all by himself of all those that he serves. But listen, Jesus says the Samaritan has to go. Jesus has to go. The Samaritan has to go on his journey, but he does something remarkable. Verse 35. He does something remarkable. On the next day, He took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. The Samaritan paid for the upkeep of the man. He gave the innkeeper an open-ended check and said, whatever it takes, just put it to my account. (laughs) Do you hear me? He gives two denarii as down payment, as a guarantee that he would come and finish whatever is owed. He would come. He did not leave any obligation on the man that he was serving. And whatever more was to be spent was to be charged to the account of the good Samaritan. And when he returns, he would make it all good. What is that saying? That is saying, Jesus is he who bore 
or the cost of our salvation. It is Jesus who bore the cost of our salvation. He left no bills to be paid on our account. He left no bills at the inn to be paid by the man. He did not. Not even a penny. The man had nothing to pay. See that? The man had nothing to pay. Remember, he had been robbed of everything. So Jesus is very purposeful in his selection of words. Robbed of everything. So he can't pay for his own recovery. But Jesus has to return to the Father. Jesus has to return to the Father. But he just doesn't return to the Father. He gives the Holy Spirit as down payment. He gives the Holy Spirit as down payment. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 20 and 22. This is what Apostle Paul writes and says. For as many as are the promises of God in him, they are yes, they are complete, they are full, they are amen in him. All the promises of God in him are yes. Therefore, also through him is our amen to the glory of God through us. Now he who establishes us with you is, sorry, now he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God who also sealed us and gave us the spirit in our hearts as a pledge, as a guarantee, as a down payment. As a seal. So Jesus is he who promised. And all the promises of God in him are yes and amen. It is he who anointed us with the oil of gladness. The Holy Spirit. And he sealed us and gave us the spirit in our hearts as a pledge. As I said, as a deposit. As down payment. As a guarantee of our salvation. And he will make good on all his promises, for all the promises of God in him are yes and amen. And amen. It is Jesus alone who bore 100% the cost of our recovery from sin and whatever else was required for our upkeep before God, whatever else was required by the innkeeper. Jesus says, I'll come back and I'll make it good. So who is the innkeeper? Because Jesus... The good Samaritan recovers the man and he leaves him to the care of the innkeeper. And this innkeeper is such a faithful innkeeper that the Samaritan is confident that when he comes back, the innkeeper would have taken care of the man. The good Samaritan knows something about the innkeeper, that he is a faithful man. (laughs) He's a faithful man. So who is the innkeeper? It's God the Father. God the Father is the innkeeper. And Jesus says to the innkeeper, charge it all on me. Charge it all on me. Charge it to my account and I'll make it good and I'll recover all those that you gave to me before the foundation of the world. I am the surety of their salvation. I will recover them to myself and I will bring them to you and if I fail to bring any one of them, let me bear the shame forever. So do you see the gospel of grace in this? This is how salvation works. Jesus alone paid for our salvation. We don't in any way help in our own salvation. We don't help in our own salvation. 
We can't help in our own salvation because we can't. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are they who work in the salvation of his people. And we have the three persons of the Godhead in this story. Jesus the Samaritan, the innkeeper, the Father, and the Holy Spirit, the oil. Okay? You get that? And the denarii that was given as down payment. So the oil and the two denarii are down payment. Okay? That's a seal. It's Jesus' commitment to finish the work that he started. He who began a good work in you will finish it. Right? That's the text. And with all that understanding, Jesus said, verse 36, and you know where we are by looking at the verses. <laughs> uh, one of these kids asked me, so how long is this going to be? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It, it doesn't matter. You can give me one page. A page can turn out to be one and a half hours. You can give me 20 pages and I can do them in an hour. It just depends what God wants to say. So I don't know. We'll finish when we finish. <laughs> And with all that understanding, Jesus said, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? Verse 37, and he said, the one who showed mercy toward him. And then Jesus said to him, bingo. You get it. You get it. You go and do the same. You have understood how this thing work. You understood it. The one who showed mercy. Now, the lawyer is speaking sovereign grace theology. His theology is straight. <laughs> now he has answered his own question of how one gets eternal life. And if you are willing to receive it, the lawyer was given repentance. The lawyer was given repentance. Gospel repentance. Because if we don't understand what the repentance is, we're going to say, no, the man was not saved. I usually don't work messages to say this man was saved or not saved. But if you understand the gospel, right there, you have gospel repentance. Because gospel repentance is a turning away from seeking to end your own salvation through law keeping to saying salvation from robbers and nakedness and death is only by the one who showed mercy. That's repentance. That's gospel repentance. So the man gets it. And that is the testimony of one who is born again. If you are born again, the only thing that you can say is, it's the good Samaritan who showed mercy on me. That's my only standing. That's my only hope before God. Don't tell me about me. There's nothing for me. There's nothing in me. I am just a bit down guy. <laughs> I may have some days that I look like I'm looking cute, but I am nothing. My righteousness is only in Christ Jesus. And this lawyer may indeed be a brother. When you go to see the Lord, you ask him, Lord, what happened to the lawyer? Can you show me the lawyer? <laughs> he, he may show you. <laughs> but let me draw, as I finish, let me make a few more remarks on the lawyer and his repentance. <clears throat> Many will say, but we don't think he was saved because we were not told what he did. He did not go and sell his stuff. He did not do things. If he was a tax collector, he did not stop stealing money from people. 
He did not do this and he did not do that. And so he remained a Pharisee. And that is the opinion of many people in the church world. They judge salvation by behavior, not the testimony of the gospel. They look at you and say, Terence, there's no way that you can still do what you're doing and say the things that you're saying if you were saved. But that's not the testimony that Christ is producing in his people. Jesus guided the man in how salvation works. He guided him and showed him how salvation works. And the lawyer gave the true testimony of salvation and said, salvation is of the Lord. Salvation happens only when this good Samaritan shows up and he shows mercy and he shows compassion and he shows grace. That's the only way and that's only when salvation happens. So salvation is by grace alone in the finished work of Christ, the good Samaritan who paid it all. And I was just thinking, yesterday we sang the hymn, Jesus paid it all. I was like, oh, we should have sing it today. Okay, we can still sing it. Because he paid it all. The good Samaritan paid it all and left you to the charge of the innkeeper to take care of you. The innkeeper who is greater than all. The innkeeper is greater than all. He left you in very safe hands. We are kept by faith. We are kept by the Father through the power of faith. Right? But this is what Jesus himself would say in John 10. John 10, 27 and 30. This is what Jesus says. Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice. And I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. The ones that belong to Jesus, the ones that he has recovered by his own faithfulness, by his own goodness, he says they shall never perish. Neither can anyone snatch them out of his hands. But if you thought Jesus' hands were weak, he says, okay, let me give you some more security. And my father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hands. And Jesus says, well, if for some reason you happen to be very strong, and you overpower me, and you try to steal and snatch away some of my sheep, guess what? I still have the father as a backup. The father is there as a backup. And then he says, I and my father are one. And then he says, guess what? My father is greater than all. And him and I are one, which means we have the same strength. So forget it. It's not going to happen. So this man who has been recovered by this good Samaritan cannot be lost. He cannot be snatched away by the same robbers. It's impossible that you shall fall into sin as to be lost. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. As I finish, let me look at the conclusion of the lawyer. What understanding did the lawyer have after the conversation? The lawyer showed that God had given him the hearing of the hidden things of salvation. Because remember, at the beginning in the chapter, uh, Jesus had said, 
Blessed are the eyes which see the things that you see. For I say to you that many prophets and kings wish to see the things which you see and do not see them and to hear the things which you hear and did not hear them. And guess what? This lawyer was in the audience. So now God has guided him to the truth, to the hidden things of salvation. He understood the teaching of salvation. And if he was saved, it was at this point of his conclusion. That salvation is only by grace to those who are beat down, who are condemned by sin. And Jesus says, now that you understand this, you go and do the same. Not to end life, but as my disciple. Oh, you got to hear that. Because if you don't understand this, people will trip you up. And I'm going to give you some extra nugget to open up what that is saying. Let me repeat the statement. And Jesus says, now that you understand this, you go and do the same as my disciple. Not as one who is seeking to end salvation. Because salvation cannot be earned. It can only be given by one who shows mercy. Okay. So now that you know this, you go and love your neighbor as yourself. And my friends, the command to go and love your neighbor as yourself is a New Testament command only given to those who are in Christ and nobody else. You go and read it. That command by itself is only given in the context of the new covenant to those who already belong to Christ. And so I believe this lawyer was saved and I believe that Jesus answered his question. But I'll say this. Don't try to be smart before Jesus and say you can do the law. Don't think that you are smart to represent yourself before God. It's impossible. You need the wisdom of Christ. Christ is God. He knows everything about God. You shut up. You let him talk. Because he is your righteousness. He is your sanctification. He is your holiness. He is your righteousness and redemption. If you encounter the true Jesus, he only has one testimony. That salvation is only in him, the good Samaritan who shows mess. And that, my friends, is the mystery of the story of the good Samaritan. Amen. Amen. Praise God. So, you know how to deal with the text. You have to identify the good Samaritan, listen to what the good Samaritan did, and what became of the man. His testimony was the one who showed him mercy. Because we are recipients of God's grace in Christ. And that is our only hope. Okay. Praise the Lord. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just bless your name again. And thank you for your blessing upon your people in the preaching and teaching of your gospel. This time was appointed by you that those who were appointed to hear the things of righteousness and life would come and hear. And I just pray, Lord, that you would teach your people the truth. May you keep them from all the hirelings who are coming up with the gospel that says the sinner is able to recover themselves. 
And yet the sinner, as we have just learned, is one who has been beat up and has been stripped of all their possessions, of all their righteousness, and have been left to die. To die under the condemnation of the law and without any ability to recover themselves. So Lord, we just pray again that you impress the truth of the gospel of grace and encourage your people to say Christ is enough for them. If Christ, the good Samaritan, was enough for this man who was left for dead, he sure is still enough for us. Lord, we just bless your name. May you keep your people as they go out. May you bring them together even tomorrow as the gospel is preached. May you give utterance to all the brothers that you have raised that they may be under shepherds of Christ to bring the gospel to your people. Our Lord, we just pray and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.